Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 80 uh, on Monday there with Jane Craigie Marketing with the uh, founder, Jane Craigie, and Rebecca Dawes and Claire Taylor talking about how you market rural businesses and how that business starts and the stories behind the people involved in the company, which was a good chat. Could you let me know whether you want to get in touch on Facebook, Instagram? I don't know if you can get in touch on Spotify. I'm pretty sure you can. I don't know. Just get in touch with me in Rural to Kitchen somewhere, saying if you like this sort of group podcast idea. I think people are quite enjoying it. I'm fair enjoying it because I get to meet even more people than I already am. Um, and then next week is an interesting one as well because we have a Nuffield scholar uh, coming on and Michael Blanche. Uh, you may have heard of the Farming Ladder. I'm not going to try and ruin what it is and tell you about it because I'll definitely get it wrong. But today for... Um, R2Cast 80, we have someone I've wanted to have one for some time, and then she put a post up, which we'll talk about uh, later on in the podcast, just a few weeks ago, and I'm like, right, Wallace, get in touch now, this has to happen. So, Biza Walters is our guest today. Biza, would you like to say hello? Yes, hello everybody, thank you very much Wallace for having me on as well. Just before we get started with another episode of the R2Cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to A-Plan Rural for that. Not at all. Very much looking forward to it. I'm sure it will be, as I always say, another interesting story, which I've got to stop saying. It's such a boring statement. There's got to be another <laughs> new catchphrase, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I need a better catchphrase. Um, I, I was actually speaking to someone. I was, they'd asked me if I wanted to be on their programme for the podcast, and they had said yes, and someone said, you could put a wee caption that says, Wallace Curry, a face for podcasting. I was like, oh, I see how it is. <laughs> 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 so uh, yeah, Biza, could you tell us um, a, a, a little bit of backstory? Are you from farming? Was farming always was farming always for you? Yeah, so I am from a farming family. Um, that where I am at the moment, Castle Farm was bought by my great grandfather in the 1930s, and it's predominantly sheep. We've got about 500 acres in a ring fence, and then we have land elsewhere as well, uh, mostly for hay. We do a lot of hay as well as sheep. Um, so my dad farms here at the moment with his two brothers. They are third generation. Um, not sure what's going to happen if there will be a fourth generation here, but yeah, that's a, another story. So yeah, we've got diversification here as well. We've got a, a merchant fee business that dad runs. We sell a lot of Romenko and Denji products. We've got a commercial shoot, although that's not gone ahead this year due to avian flu. Um, and we've also got fishing lakes and we've got a few holiday lets as well. So lots to keep us busy. Oh, my God. <laughs> that <Yeah>. was endless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned Denji. I actually worked for the company that owned the majority share in the harvest of Denji crops. Oh, OK. Yeah, down, in, down in Essex. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was quite interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. Um, so... He is one I want to jump onto. Um, we've had Will Rubottom, who I'm pretty certain you know. Yes, yeah, Will was actually with me here on the farm in the summer. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so Will obviously is in the same line of work in that sense, but he one of the major issues that a lot of folk in that line of work this year had was the drought over the summer. How, yeah. how did that hit you guys? Um, we, <coughs> we're 
I say we're lucky in the summer we're quite lucky we have like marl soil so it's really heavy clay soil and it holds water so it, I mean it floods in the winter just because when we have so much water but it actually holds the moisture in the summer so we didn't start feeding hay to our ewes until September time so we managed to hold off and we also because we sell a lot of Romenko products we you know we've got the blocks readily available so we had blocks out for the ewes um we well we've got about six seven hundred ewes at the moment but we have land elsewhere so we could keep rotating them around and rest fields when we needed to so it, it didn't affect us hugely on that front um and then with the hay we have quite a few where we are we're warwickshire so surrounded by places like Soli Hull, where you have a lot of small holders that have got, you know, 40 acres and four sheep. So they've got all this grass that they don't know what to do with. So because dad's got this feed merchant business, he's out and about a lot meeting new people and new clients. And they say, oh, you know, we've got this 40 acres of grass that we don't know what to do with. And dad says, well, we can take it as hay. So that's how we've managed to get all this, these little, I mean, they're little parcels of land, but they're everywhere. And we just go in, take the hay off it. And then you know it's done for them for another year and they've got their grass down so it works quite well definitely so you say i think it was 500 acres you said at the start is that including these little bits that you no no so no, that's just no. at home yeah at yeah. home in warwickshire on the farm 500 acre ring fence and how how did the the feed business come come about was that your dad that started that oh that this is bit yeah i think this started this started when i was very very little if not before right. Yeah, it's uh, PM Walters and Sons, um, Fiend Merchants. And we've always dealt with Romenko and sold Romenko products. We did a lot of horsey stuff as well before. We still do Denji, um, but Dad wanted to focus more on the agricultural side of it yeah. rather than equine. It's quite good to have, to sort of have like a focus, but also sort of touch into both markets because they're yes. Good one, obviously. Yeah, yeah, and he also yeah. so he supplies little merch like feed stores in in our area, and obviously they sell you know they'll sell your bag of chaff for your horse owner, but then they also sell your lip bucket for your smallholder. So we, quite it's quite a good market around here. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, the shoot obviously not happening this year because no. of bird flu. It's yeah. A, for people that don't know about bird flu, it is worse than COVID for the birds. Like it's the the solution is lock them in, and that just leads to. Well, I'm not going to say the words, but domestic abuse in the bird world. Yeah. So we try uh, to make it friendly, if we will. It's just, it's hellish. Yeah. But and we've tried, you know, so hard, haven't we, as an industry to, you know, stop battery farming and all the rest of it and, and let, you know, birds be free range, especially hens and, you know, free range eggs. And now suddenly we're doing a U-turn when we're having to do it all again. But I think, you know, it's fair to say this one is obviously with the welfare of the animals, because if you let them out and they get bird flu, there is no happy ending to that, is there? That's it. But I think the way it also goes is if you don't have the right resources, which you don't have to have because you've got free range hens, to put them inside, mm -hmm. it's just as, as, as bad an end. But the yeah. shoot's slightly unrelated to that. It was more of a side story. Do you get involved in the shoot yourself? Um, yeah, so I, ha I have a dog. I have a Labrador. She, although right. she's about to turn twelve, so she just does her own thing now. Um, <laughs> but she, yeah, she comes picking up with me, and she lives for it. And I don't, I'm not, I, I don't shoot. I've never shot, like physically shot. I just prefer working the dog. I get more right. enjoyment out of that. That's a skill, though. You know. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't say it doesn't go to plan all the time, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because right, we have a lot of. Um, like people that take it really seriously and they do field trialing and they come picking up here and they've got their dogs you know they've got like bring 10 labradors that all just sit 
really well and they don't move and they go when they're told and then I've got Bronte my black lab who just kind of bumbles off and runs in the middle of a drive but because because obviously it's our shoot not this is an excuse she gets away with it so it's like oh there's Bronte again she just just ignore her she's also 12 but she's and she's 12 and she's just such a queen she's lovely oh she's such a sweetie and uh, what, one of my favourite things, I don't know if you're involved in this side either, one of my favourite things is just sitting by a burn or a lake or whatever. It's not something I've done often with a beer and fishing. So you're, is it fishing lakes, you said? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is, is that like, is that an experience? Does, does someone take folk with them or do they just No, so they just, um, I mean, I don't really know anything about fishing pools, I must admit, but they're like I think there's carp in them. Right. about right um and so people can come it's like i think it's 10 pounds a rod and they just sit and fish but obviously it's catch and release so put them back yeah, yeah, sure. um yeah. people in the summer come and do night fishing um we have quite a few people so we're literally on the edge of birmingham so we have quite a few dads that bring you know young sons out on a friday night and they'll go and sit by the lake and yeah it's quite sweet it get but it gets them out of the cities and into more well, rural areas. so we're all for it yeah and uh, it is such a, it's serene the word, I don't know. There's something just so nice about just sitting and all you can hear is the water. Mm. Um, I love it. We used to do quite a lot of boat fishing, so you could also hear the engine, but uh, yeah, it was good fun. Got some pretty yeah. good memories from that. Involving yeah, I bet. <laughs> catching, uh, my papa caught himself <laughs> right through his hands once. No. As a seven-year-old, I had to get him back. And, oh, yeah, oh, it's God. a good story. It's a good story. Um, <laughs> So I really actually the long story is a good one, but we don't have time for the long story. Yeah. Um, so a, a heavily diversified place, uh, just about doing everything you could really consider with what you have. Um, could you tell us a bit more and focus about the, the farm itself, so the sheep enterprise? Yeah, so we, I mentioned we've got six, seven hundred head of um, North Country Mule flock. Uh, that's our commercial flock that we put to a Suffolk tap. Uh, we lamb in February, uh, middle of February. Um, about four, four to six weeks, depending on how long the tub's been in, obviously, um, in the autumn. Um, fatten everything here, and then they all go off to the abattoir. So we creep feed, um, and then they go off, and every, everything's gone by September time. Um, yeah, we use a lot of Romenco products, and we actually, this year, and going back to the drought, as you mentioned, I know a lot of, I've had a lot of people have had, like, the worst scanning this year they've ever had because it was so dry couldn't flush the ewes we actually scanned at I think 208 percent this year right. which is considering the summer we had we're absolutely thrilled with probably too good actually um last year we scanned at I think 225 percent but it's because we overflushed them and um, you know dad holds his hands up we overflushed them and with with Romenko products not that that's a bad thing at all um because obviously you want a higher scanning percent but 225 was a bit bit high I think I think overflushing is something that can happen with North Country they're, they're supposed to be one of yeah but for what for what we wanted you know you want yeah. 200 percent don't you you don't want 225 yeah, 100%. so we, we went a bit hard on them um and so we didn't flush them this year with blocks and they still came out at 208 so it I think that one of the benefits of getting involved in February, you know, lamb time in February, is you're getting ahead of that sort of price yeah. that starts down, which is, which is good. And the, the problem with that lambing percentage or scanning percentage, I should say, sorry, this year was on top of the difficult summer. It's also been, I don't know if this has hit you as much, a pretty notably cold winter. <laughs> People having some pretty major issues there as well, having already yeah. 
delved into their winter forage over the summertime as well, you know? Well, we um, were quite lucky that we didn't have to delve into winter forage because because we had we had the we didn't have the grass but we had more grass than most and also because we have so much hay we keep as much back as we need and then we sell dad's actually literally just gone past in the tractor because we're loading a lorry up and a back loading up to scotland with hay so so yeah i mean we're in a very fortunate position um which we're aware of you know we've got the hay we've got the forage available and we didn't have to feed much at all over the summer will you be selling hay all year round um so we had a lot go out over the autumn um and then come lambing time it stops then because obviously we're using it we don't have time to load lorries to go back up um and then obviously it's then coming into haymaking season and then it all starts again so you've got that commercial flock there but i know there's something a bit closer to your heart yeah my dark moors yeah so I've got, uh, how many ewes have I got now? Seven grey-faced Dartmoor ewes and two tups. So I've got nine in total, which is, you know, big in the game. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I got two ewes and a tup for my birthday in 2021. So it was, uh, yeah, last beginning of last year. So January last year. Um, or was it 2020? I can't remember. It was a couple of years ago anyway. Um, and they came from a local farm park that was closing down. So that's Brenda and Diane um, and my two ewes that came from there. And then Dougie. Um, Dougie has since been sold because I've kept his daughter's mm-hmm. daughter. Um, and I got a new tap from a guy called Sam Walton, who's up in Derbyshire. He's Sam on the farm on Instagram for anyone who wants to follow him. He is. I've definitely heard that name before. He is brilliant. So I went, yeah. up to, I went to pick Ernie up from him in March. And Ernie has, he served four out of five of well he served all five ewes but brenda just because they came from a farm park they are morbidly obese like she's absolutely okay. ginormous and i just she's just totally useless basically she gave me a lamb this year <laughs> last year she didn't have anything and she's barren this year as well so she's just part of the furniture now <laughs> she's just part of the brenda. Mm, poor brenda um and then i bought two more ewes this year and i had two ewe lambs this year and a ewe lamb last year so i've got seven now but I don't put the ewe lambs uh, in lamb the like the year they're born, like yeah, yeah. eighteen months or so, just because they they're quite big sheep and they need quite you know quite a long time to mature, in my opinion, anyway. Um, so yeah, that's what I've got at the moment. So I've got I um, should be expecting six lambs in February time from there. Excellent, exciting yeah. times. Yes, yeah. I know, I know. Going to be very busy. Speaking- We'll be speaking to you in a few years and it'll be a 50 or 60. You'll have well, you, yeah, you say that. I mean, I'm going to have to, it's all because of the, I say family politics here. I think if I want to expand it any more than it is, I'm going to have to take them off the farm and find land elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. fair, fair. I, I, I get that, I get that. Yeah, and yeah. Am I right in saying, I'm pretty sure I saw a photo over summer that you showed them. Is that right? No, I don't show no. them. I, I, I could do, yeah. I've got one. Bertha, who is Diane's lamb from last year, is she's a beautiful you. I could show her, but they're just pets at the moment. And to be honest, because I've been on the NFU Student and Young Farmer Ambassador Programme this year, I just haven't had the time. So everything's been, you know, and then I was lambing and I got a new job and everything's just been so busy. Maybe next year I'll have the time to do it. You you mentioned about the uh, student ambassadorship at the NFU. I've seen through Instagram a lot of folk that do this and English NFU seem very much better at promoting the campaign than the Scottish NFU. Sorry if you're listening, NFU Scotland. 
Um, but there is a young ambassador program to Scottish NFU, but nothing really happens. What you guys do seems extremely good. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, so I actually didn't even know that you guys had, um, so that just backs your point up even more. Sorry, Scottish NFU. You didn't know there was an NFU Scotland? I didn't even yeah. know. I, did, yeah. I knew there was an NFU Scotland, but I didn't know, obviously, that there was a, um, an ambassador, a young person ambassador program. No, it's, it's, yeah. it's, I mean, I'm pretty certain I am one uh, oh. from about six years ago. And oh, okay. When I, and I haven't been to meetings at that place for however long, and I still hear that I am one. So, yeah, it would be something if, if I was ever to get involved in the NFU, I'd really like to sort of try and yeah, um, you guys are definitely. doing down south because it's brilliant. Yeah, it's been a fantastic programme. So it's a year-long programme, starts in January, um, and we're just about to hand over to the new cohort this coming January. And we've done so much. We've, you know, had training days, like writing training, media training, um, we had a tour of HQ, we went to conference, we've been down to see um, the Kenyan pig farmer, Flavian, who's down in Hampshire, we had a tour around there, there you go. and House of Parliament with James Gray, who's the MP for North Wiltshire, he sponsored us and took us around Parliament, and we went to the Lord Mayor show uh, back in November, um, yeah, we, we've done loads, we've done loads, yeah. uh, induction, which was back in March, um, and then we've got this handover in January as well. What does the handover involve? Is that? I think it's just, it's meeting the new cohort and just chatting to them and, you know, telling them what we've done and what, you know, to, not to like to look out for sort of thing, yeah. the opportunities that come <clears throat> with this programme, um, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. The, just if you're listening and uh, you want to check out the Kenyan pig farmer, I'm pretty sure his podcast was number four. I think I did, or was it five? Around near the start, he was the first ever interview I did when I kicked off all this stuff with Flavian. Um, oh. Great guy. He's, oh, he's fab. He's, yeah, he's brilliant. He's so funny as well. <laughs> <laughs> His stories are great, guy. Um, was that through being a student or was that through being a young farmer, the ambassador? Uh, what, what, as in how did I get onto the programme? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I wasn't a student at the time I applied, um, and actually, one of the ambassadors from the year before, Katie Smith, was in my Young Farmers Club at home. And she sent me the application link and she said, I really think you should apply for this. It'd be really good for you to do. Yes. So she helped me with my application, sent it off. And I was offered a place for the West Mids, one of the West Mids ambassadors. Excellent. And could you tell us, you mentioned uni and Young Farmers there, we'll get to Young Farmers in a second. Could you tell us about uni, what you studied, where you studied? I went to the Royal Agricultural University in Sirencester and studied applied farm management. So it was 80% of the business side of agriculture and then 20% practical. Was that, is that three years? Is that right? Yeah, three years with a six-month placement in the summer between years two and three. Oh, excellent, excellent. That's yeah. the one thing that um, quite a lot of Scottish people feel feel outdone by. Uh, oh, really? Do you not have placements? Got, well, no, we've got to do four years. Oh, four? Um, yeah, well... <laughs> As a student, I had to do it. Now we teach it for four years, but the placement thing's funny. Intro, it mentioned that we've our college is piloting, I guess you could say, the first ever what's called next gen up in Scotland. So we now are integrating a placement into the first year, um, mm. and it's actually in the first year, uh, the sort first of through the, year. yeah, and then also the second year. And we haven't got the stage of writing third and fourth year yet, so I don't know oh, what. what this is very new. Yeah. Oh no, literally very new. We're, we're, we're writing the second year at the minute and doing the first first year so it's a wow it's okay bit fun um, how does that work sorry i'm digressing but how does that work like no. when when would they do their placement so the way the placement works at the minute um again obviously sort of trying this out seeing what works seeing what doesn't is one day a week 
um, throughout right. the course of the term, not the term, sorry, the year, from maybe about week six, because we don't want to just throw folk in straight away without yeah. any, you know. So we give them a few <clears throat> a few weeks worth of sessions on, obviously, the start of their course, and then also how to deal with the placement, how to arrange it. Do you have one? Where can we get you to go? And the aim is first year to be sort of farm-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, second year, um, sort of if you can progress on to assisting maybe in the sort of management side of the farm or even into the sort of service side. Um, you know, much like you do in your day job, which we'll get into as well, that, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, and then as we go into third year and fourth year, I don't strictly know exactly what will happen there because um, we're just not there yet. But yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool, actually. Slightly, it's different to what I did. I did the old form um, and the benefits I'm seeing are, are, are good. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, um, yeah uh, young farmers, a thing mm-hmm. that I am recently involved in only started in the last eight months uh, so quite a late starter at 25 but uh, how, how long have you been involved in young farmers Rosa? I've been in young farmers I think since I was 14 so 10 right. years now yeah um but it's quite a sore subject in our house because we're on we're live in Warwickshire but we're right on the Warwickshire Worcestershire border and a lot of the Warwickshire young farmers events happen kind of north Warwickshire so I'm south Warwickshire and it's a good like 45 minute jaunt for me to get to event like parties or (laughs) stock judging or anything like that and my I have some older cousins who live on the farm and they went across into Worcestershire and joined Withal Young Farmers which is the club I'm now in but dad was actually chairman of at the time the local Warwickshire branch which was Stratford and Studley so when I announced that I was heading off over into Worcestershire it's such a sore subject I've never seen someone so offended yeah yeah (laughs) it's a board of contention that I it mean, really like, is yeah. so so when i was getting involved in the nfu what beginning of end of last year he's chairman of our local branch and he said no no it, this is warwickshire nfu you're not going into worcestershire so so that that's where i was like oh okay we'll compromise <laughs> <laughs> i would like to have seen the dinner table conversation oh it was not good and I've been in Whistle 10 years now and I'm chairman of Whistle this year. Right. So, you know, I'm quite, I'm heavily involved, but it's still a very, very touchy subject. <laughs> um, I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates, the UK over, and will give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years or a fancy new and exciting diversification. Kira, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are looking to get into farming and young farmers is a massive avenue. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one that many folk use. Could you tell us about your sort of movement from starting at 14 to now obviously being chairperson, as you said, what, what's been involved throughout that time? Yeah. Apart from a lot of family. Arguments. Politics, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I went to my first like meeting. My cousins took me because um, they're... Oh, six seven eight years older than me so at the time they were heavily involved in young farmers so they took me along and so I was basically like the only junior at the time in Whithall so I was doing all the competitions as a junior like floristry woodwork cake decorating you know rally all those competitions and then um then started doing a levels so that took over then went off to uni so again wasn't really around got back from uni in 2019 so then got involved again all the competitions that sort of stuff and then obviously covid hit which was i think a lot of young farmers were or young farmers as a federation was very worried because it's um 
some clubs have folded you know it's I'm sure you know like trying to get young people into agriculture is dwindling and it's a very relentless thing to do something we need to do so when covid hit we just thought oh my god this is the worst thing at the moment that could happen um so we tried doing lots of zoom things and teams calls and quizzes and we did like a, a scavenger hunt around the house one evening all on teams and we were just trying to keep it really fun um and then when they said you know when rules were easing and they said oh people can start going out again we did have people come over for farm walks and people came and met the Dartmoors and you know we just tried to get people to meet up socially distanced but in person because you know you've got a bunch of like 14 year old lads they don't want to sit on zoom and Ugh. do a scavenger hunt around the house so as soon as we could we got them out and about again and then we went back into lockdown so we we're having to do it all again and we thought we were quite worried with withal because we were at that it goes in peaks and troughs doesn't it with membership and we were quite a small club at the time. And we thought, oh my gosh, this is probably going to break us. Like people, because then two years has gone and everyone's gone off to uni or people have just lost interest. But luckily for us, we had, everyone was desperate to come back. And we had so many people over lockdown that were like, oh my God, it was the worst thing sat in the house. I wanted to be out and about. And we've got so many people from non-farming backgrounds now in Young Farmers, in Withall. And I think we're up to about 50 members. And we're Excellent. one of the strongest pubs in, in Worcestershire. So it's going really well. Um, I'm chairman this year and a very good friend of mine is secretary, although she basically runs the club. She's my right hand man. I can do it for her. So she tells me what I need to do, where I need to be. Um, and then in the new year, we're going to start prepping for rally, which is in May. And that's the big day of competitions. All the clubs in the county get together and there's all sorts going on. It's going to be yeah, a really good day. Excellent. So if you're listening and maybe even you're in the Withal, is that right? Withal, Withal yeah. yeah. Withal area. Maybe you could join. Um, yeah. Business club, not business club, but the... the <laughs> uh, secretaries are amazing. If you get the right secretary... Honestly. Just... Yeah, and people come up to me and they say, oh my gosh, you're doing such a fantastic job. And I'm like, I haven't done anything. I literally... <laughs> <laughs> this is all Hannah. Hannah has done... She keeps the club together. And she actually got... Um, Secretary or Treasurer of the Year for Worcestershire County back in at the um, County AGM in October. And I was like, oh, thank God that she's being, you know, praised for her work because she's just, she's amazing. Well, shout out Hannah. Yeah, big shout out to Hannah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you've travelled a bit with Lamin. Um, could you tell us, you've been to a few places. Most people go 20 miles down the road to try something different uh, but you've, you've certainly ventured quite far could you tell us a bit about uh, those travels brother? yeah sure so <laughs> 2020 I think it was I left my job working um in a feed merchant store not at home somewhere completely different mm -hmm. um came back and I thought oh my gosh I don't know what I'm going to do now it was during covid I thought I really probably shouldn't have left that job because I'm not going to find another one but that's the one good thing about agriculture is there is always work available so I thought, well, why don't I just go off lambing for five months? So I got onto the NSA National Sheep Association website and found somewhere there, which was in Glasgow, just north of Glasgow near Killern and Balfron. Mm -hmm. So I was there in the April. Um, I lambed at home in the February, March, and then went on like five miles down the road to another local farmer. So this was in 2021. And then I... After, then I went to Glasgow, then after Glasgow I went up to Stronzy, which is a really small island just off Orkney, mainland Orkney, and I was there for five weeks, where I was lambing and we were carving and doing field work and all sorts, and it was amazing, and because I couldn't travel properly at the time because of Covid, I thought this is like my travelling, 
Um, and then this year I did the same again, lambed at home, lambed for local farmer, went back to Glasgow, and then I went to mainland Orkney this year. Um, and then I went up to Gla um, Iceland as well from there. Iceland is one place that I just love. I went on holiday there once. I tried to learn the language. <laughs> What's that? I remember sat at the dinner table and they were just, the mum couldn't speak any English. And so I was there like, hope you don't expect me to learn this because I'm terrible with languages. <laughs> like French is, you know, hard enough for me. So Icelandic is a no-go. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to say this. And if someone listening Icelandic, because I know there is, 2% of my listeners are Icelandic. So oh, okay. I'm, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but I believe Gamla Hitafik is, uh, how are you today? Uh, and, oh, I, I used to know how to order food. No, I can't remember. <laughs> Do you know do you know farm life iceland have you, have you seen them on instagram yes, uh, yes i have i've had polina on the podcast oh, uh, okay. really yeah. interesting one. talked about red yeah. deer and all that sort of thing you know the, the major gathering all that but could you tell us how you experienced iceland very cold like <laughs> yeah. extremely cold i was there in may and it was minus five and snowing and the water pipes were freezing and it was oh it was so cold but a beautiful country like absolutely stunning um and they were the family I were with. It was a, a mother and a father and a daughter. The daughter was my age, and she was studying veterinary in Denmark. And her and her boyfriend were back for lambing, but they were lambing about 350, 400 Icelandic sheep. But it was a hobby for them. So unless they were saying, unless you've got like two thousand sheep, you can't make a living off just four hundred sheep. So they they all took four weeks holiday. Like that was their holiday for the year, and they spent it lambing these sheep. Which it's, I found fascinating because you've got people that can survive off, I don't know, three hundred sheep here. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 am I right in saying it's only Icelandic sheep on Iceland? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I have. I didn't see anything else. I'm positive that's what Polina said. I'm. I'm sure it's illegal to import something else. Yeah, they're very, very, very hot on their biosecurity. So when yeah. I went over, I said, I remember I messaged the daughter and I said, what do I need to bring? And you know, like work clothes wise. And she said, nothing will provide you with work clothes here and boots. And I was like, are you sure? Because I've got stuff that's brand new in packets. I can bring that. And she was like, no, we're we're really tight on biosecurity. So they had a lorry container that you would go into in the morning, change into your work clothes and your work boots, go out and work and then you'd go back in there for lunch change again back into like these sorts of clothes your house clothes and then go back in, into the house right they were that yeah. tight on disease and yeah yeah i think probably some people look at it and think it's over the top but if <laughs> if it's working it's working yeah yeah exactly. uh, yeah absolutely um oh i was gonna say something about iceland yeah you mentioned it was cold funnily enough when when i went it was in it was the 6th of december we left we left glasgow and four degrees and got to Iceland at six. Oh my <laughs> oh god. god. I just felt like 300 quid and all these jackets and everything. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's warmer. <laughs> oh my god. Typical, isn't uh, it? Yeah, it was completely typical. <laughs> um what your your day job is advisor, is that right? Yeah, um, so like a rural advisor. Yeah. <clears> yeah. Who's, who's that for and how did you get into that? That is for a company called Mole and Co. And uh it's when I got back lambing from Iceland and I didn't have anything lined up afterwards to be honest I was quite pleased for a bit of a break I was exhausted um so I was down um down south on holiday and I had a phone call through to say oh um someone I know is actually looking for someone to come in for maternity cover to start with to take over you know 
that's like that sort of work and um, would you be interested and I said oh yes you know I need a job I'm not going to say no so I went and had a chat with this woman and it's basically um talking to farmers and advising on stewardship schemes and sorting BPS applying for grants um like the slurry storage grant that's come out there was the adding value grant and um, all that sort of stuff so interesting doing lots of stuff and obviously going through the agricultural transition plan mm-hmm. is um interesting and one minute something's this and then it's that and it's all over the place but yeah it's yeah it's, it's good I'm enjoying it good good and, and you started when did you say sorry in June June 2022 yeah 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 so six but, months no very good very yeah. good um for those of you listening we're going to take quite a uh, we're going to move away from conventional certainly British farming sorry my mum's phone I mean who knows what it is <laughs> away, um Sorry, that was quite rude. You're probably listening to this. Sorry, Mum. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but one, I said earlier on in the podcast there was something that Biz had posted, and I was like, "Oh, I need to, I need to get in touch. I need to speak about this. I need to hear what's happening." I'm going to introduce it with a very strange story. Um, we hear about the sort of idea of legalization of drugs, and is it going to be a good thing and whatnot? And I'm just watching Biz's face off camera here to see how she's thinking this introduction is <laughs> going. And there's the idea that Class A drugs, if they're legalised, it might actually be better. Now, that's not a discussion we need to get into. I've got opinions on it, but that's a completely different thing. Have you ever considered what the legalisation of sort of taking the horn of rhino, farming rhino, so on and so forth, might open up? Now, I'm going to try and say something here, Biz, and you'll probably be able to correct me if I'm wrong. We think of rhino horn as ivory, but I believe that's just actually elephant. It's rhino horn keratin. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the reason I'm talking about this is Biza has travelled to Africa and has been somewhat involved in this side of things. So Biza, could you just tell us about that whole experience? Because from that one post I saw, it sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, it, it was incredible. So when I was at university, we have a lot of um, Africans that come over to study, um, especially from Zimbabwe, South Africa, Kenya, all those areas. And I met a guy at university, we started dating, um, and he was Zimbabwean, but with all the troubles that they had their farm was taken away from them and him and his mum and his sister um, moved down to South Africa his mum had a new partner and he owned um, a game reserve near Kruger National Park in South Africa and one thing that he was like his life passion was trying to save rhino so I when I was out there I went out there quite a few times but when I was out there I would go out every morning um, they had horses that they would patrol the fence lines with around the reserve because it was a closed reserve um so we would go out patrolling fence lines um checking for tracks and it was purely all because poachers were trying to come in mm-hmm. and take these rhino horn so the asian market is the main buyer well it's on the black market but it's the main buyer of these horns and it's you know thousands and thousands of years of traditional like tales that rhino horn has medicinal properties so if you've got cancer if you've got a cold if you're if you've got hair loss if anything wrong with you as far as they believe rhino horn will cure it so that that's the battle they're up against is they're trying to educate however many billions of people in asia like china um japan you know philippines like everywhere that believe that this is a a thing and if you have a scraping of rhino horn in your tea in the morning you're going to be cured of your cancer so yeah so that's that's where it all comes from um and so I mean, poaching is just such a huge issue it, and, it, and it's awful because obviously 
you know you've got these oh, I have to be really careful how I say it because it's obviously trying to be politically correct for sure yeah. yeah but basically they have so so the family and that I was with and my partner at the time they were a white family and they right. employed a lot of the local black community that would come in and they would be the anti-poaching guards um they'd go out on horseback they had anti-poaching dogs as well that would um track scents if they if they got onto any scent if someone had been in the reserve um, and I'm not saying at all that this is what happened there because touch wood we never had a problem with poaching while I was there but if you have a middleman say so you've got you've got the people that um will buy the horn the ones in Asia you've then got loads of middlemen the ones that get it across borders that you know fly it out of airports and the ones that also go and physically poach the rhino yeah. and these middlemen will go up to you know whether they're in their local bar or whatever in their community and someone will come in and they'll say right I will give you a thousand dollars cash and they'll, they'll say this to an anti-poaching guard I'll give you a thousand dollars cash if you can go out and get me a rhino horn in the next week but because the anti-poaching guard knows exactly like the movements of the rhino they know the reserve they know the behavior they've got a family to feed you know this is the black community it's so poor they're going to go out and they're going to go and poach a rhino so that's like where the corruption comes into it um and you know you put your trust in these people to try and help you save this animal from extinction but if they've got someone offering them you know probably like a year's worth of wages or whatever they're gonna and they can feed their family they're gonna go out and poach a rhino aren't they yeah and, and you totally get that you know <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you do and you, and you know my dad said to me or you know if I was ever in that position I had to do it for for the you lot I'd think very long and hard about it and you know what I mean it's so and it as much as they try and educate them and you know they go out to schools and try and educate the children because you know obviously that's where it will you know start if they can educate them from a young age but if someone's going to approach them with a wad of cash and say go and get me a rhino horn they're going to go and do it, it. it's true like what your dad says though I mean it's your kids isn't it I mean, until yeah. of course it used to go to the wrong young farmers club but <laughs> it, 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 it makes a lot of sense that that, yeah. that happens because yeah. of that but I was trying to sort of I was looking into it and from what I understand you were talking about cancer and whatnot in, in, in Asia it's believed that that would sort of solve it if you will or cure it it's not also known to be an aphrodisiac that's the thing I was yeah. always afraid of yeah 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 I yeah. thought that yeah um, it, it's it's like anything anything that's wrong with you apparently <laughs> right, yeah. cures it but it's keratin like it's 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 your nail it's yeah. you know what I mean like <laughs> cut your nail and put it in your tea if you're that desperate for it it'll do it's you know it's a uh, yeah yeah. Is there a way, if this is going to be a, a question that a lot of people are going to be like, Wallace, how can you possibly think that? But it's the, I, that's how I, my brain works. Is there a way to quote unquote farm rhino horn and it still be done sustainably, ethically, or is that not possible? I, In my opinion, yes. So, you right. know, I spent a lot of time out there and the photo you're referring to, I know which one it is, it's the one where I'm painting people yeah. on well now a stump which is on a rhino so we had um we spent a lot of time out and about and it's a huge operation it's so expensive um but they the charity that kind of this family that I was staying with set up would get donations and they would use that money to go out and dehorn rhino so we'd go out and about we'd set off at like four in the morning in helicopters with vets and there's ground team and there's guards everywhere and it, it's a huge operation and before obviously it gets really hot so you've got probably got like a six hour window We'll go out in the helicopter, track a rhino, try and find a rhino that's got its full horn or two horns, um, dart it to sedate it. 
and then the ground team run in um kind of stabilize it so it's not wobbling about and you, you know that you can imagine how big these animals are so you've yes. got like 50 odd people involved in this operation it's huge um and you also the rhino can't be down for probably longer than about 20 minutes because it's such a huge animal it squishes its its organs mm. if it's down for long so it's you've got to be quick and you then get an angle grinder and a chainsaw take the horns off these horns then go so bearing in mind i think rhino horn at the minute a kilo is worth seventy thousand dollars and well, these that's horns, about double gold yeah gold. yeah so these these horns probably weighed eight kilos seven eight kilos so you think that's like half a million dollars worth of keratin and because the the trade of rhino horn is illegal these horns then get taken to a vault in johannesburg where they stay forever and they just sit there right you can't, you can't touch them you can't go and see them you can't take them out you can't do anything with them they're tagged and then they go with all the um shavings of when like the, you, like you wouldn't know if you went to a site that there'd been a dehorning because they pick up every single bit of horn um, and then it goes off to these vaults in Johannesburg and just sits there. So what uh, a lot of people are trying to do is get um, the trade of horn legalized so that you can then flood the market, sell all these horns that are firstly sat in these vaults, because there's probably billions of pounds or dollars worth of horns sat in these vaults that can't be touched, flood the market, and then it will bring hopefully down the poaching rate. But also if you farm rhino for their horn, again, you can sell it like a commodity like a legal commodity and it actually it's like shearing a sheep it doesn't hurt them it grows back um i mean the only thing is you've got to sedate them to do it but these are really experienced people the vets are absolutely phenomenal you know they're dealing with rhino every day so they know what they're doing um it's an expensive operation but if you can sell the horn on you can then fund the dehorning and you know it's it's it would be like farming sheep for their fleeces no, it's, it's the exact same thing. If it if it is a complete, you know, yeah, fine process, and it sounds it, it yeah. absolutely. and you have to dehorn every two to three years. Well, I was just so about to ask, yeah. how quick does it grow back? But Could, that wouldn't it, be full size. That would be like a, I don't know, a, like a stump, like a that size stump. I don't know how big that would be. It's still about seven eight inch know, stump, maybe quarter of a million worth of money. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? Um, what's the life expectancy of a rhino? Oh gosh, now you're asking. It doesn't matter if you don't know, I'm just wondering. No. 15 years, maybe. Right. And I'll do you know if, I've made no, that. No, it's fine, it's fine. Do you know if they're they're ruminant? I've got a feeling they're monogastric, but I don't know. Are you sure? No. Okay. I just I don't know. I, I, yeah. I've now you've mentioned I don't, think, I don't think they're ruminant. I don't think they're no, ruminant. I'm, I'm pretty certain they're not. Yeah. I've got a feeling they're hindgut. I think they're the same yeah. as horse, I think. But um yeah, but I, you don't know me all that well, Biz, but folk that do know me know that now I've heard of a new thing, rhinos. Today is just going to be looking up rhinos. <laughs> <laughs> no, everything about them. Um, I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. The, I still didn't fully get, why are they locked away? I didn't what, quite... their horn? Yeah. Because, because they've been harvested and taken legally, to, well, you've dehorned them, so you haven't gone in and yeah. them, basically. 
because it's illegal to sell them they're not going to leave you with like me for example with a rhino horn because i'm going to go and sell it on for sure so um they have to they get tagged the horns get tagged um id'd and then they get taken flown off to johannesburg and locked away for eternity and who owns that horn the the person who owns the rhino so if it's a reserve so like kruger is owned by it's like it's the south african national park so they would own the south however it works but not a person it's like a whoever the national park owned that horn but the family i was staying with because it was a closed reserve they owned the rhino on that reserve like i'm not obviously going to say any names but a gentleman there owned the rhino so when we dehorned the rhino on the reserve they were his horns Right. So yeah, he owned those horns, and they were like millions and millions of dollars worth of horns that he just had to send off. But so as you see, hmm? sorry, on you go. Sorry, on you go. I was just going to say, it's not like he can go and sell them and then put the money back yeah. in to the reserve, like conservation, and. But like almost the second that he can, it's not going to be worthless, but it's going to be so low because everyone's going to do it. Yeah. Albeit that's very unfair on those. Uh, rhino owners that also probably will like you say not stop poaching but certainly reduce it hugely it'll reduce it yeah um well hopefully you know, we don't know because it's not happening at the minute it's still legal to trade rhino horn is that a thing that you think could happen at becoming legal? i don't know I haven't I haven't been there since 20 I haven't been there for three years so no for sure for sure I wouldn't yeah. know um I'm a bit out of the loop but from I think if they were going to do it they probably would have done it by now like there's there was such a huge push on it out there and there's all these charities and you know people were protesting and all yeah. the rest of it and when I was I was down in London in October running the marathon and there were people running the marathon dressed as rhino for the rhino so people are you know still trying really hard and all the rest of it and it's still not happened so yeah. i can't see it changing personally yeah which is a shame because it looks yeah. like there is a potential solution there um, yeah 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 and then, it, and then that's why i said i have to be you know careful with what i say but it all boils down to corruption doesn't it oh, of course it does at the end of the day yeah absolutely so, yeah and uh you mentioned um that uh you mentioned zimbabwe at one point and just a sort of little caveat um for those of you listening if Zimbabwe is in any way interesting in the next few weeks at some point I will be arranging a podcast with uh, Blythe who's based in Zimbabwe she is a blueberry agronomist um, she went to uni where I went to uni uh, but she was brought up in Zimbabwe and she unfortunately as well uh, was one of the, the people that suffered hugely um, throughout uh, clearances but uh, yeah that well, I haven't filmed it yet. <laughs> she unfortunately had malaria over Christmas. So oh no! Okay. okay, yeah, but she said she said she was like, "Oh, I've got malaria," and I'm like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's tonight. such a normal thing. I went. <laughs> I spent New Year's in twenty or twenty seventeen in Zimbabwe in Victoria Falls, and I remember my mum because she spent a lot of time in Africa as well. Was like, "You need to take malaria tablets with you," but then I was advised not to get them in the UK because we don't have malaria here. So when I got out there, I then had them. But it's like such a normal thing. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's like getting a cold. Well, yeah, it just seemed that way. And she sent yeah. me a voice. It was like, I'm not faking it. And I'm like, I don't need proof. I can't believe <laughs> you're not well. It's I believe like, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. But um, it's the most beautiful country, Zimbabwe. I was going to say, Victoria Never get chance to is go. gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. From photos, I've not been. Um, yeah, no stunning. Yeah. 
well, quite jealous actually. Yeah. But also, I'm going to take a massive jump back here, like almost half an hour ago. And this is for folk listening. If you want to lamb, if you want to get into sheep farming, as I mentioned, the NSA website, it is brilliant. At lambing time, yeah. probably we're filming pretty much in the turn of the year at the minute, they'll be starting to populate um, jobs across the country and it could be jobs for folk with absolutely no experience that might be very low paid or just purely paid for for accommodation food sort of thing or experienced jobs um, you know fully paid uh, well remunerated but it's a brilliant website it's amazing yeah it's and that's where I found a lot of mine and I emailed oh my god I must email about 20 people yeah. but the thing is because I was doing it as a job a lot of them they will pay some will pay but most of them want like students that will come for experience so they were saying oh you know thank you but we actually you know we're not in a position to, to pay you a full wage which was fine you know yeah but it, for any students or anyone that wants experience it's a brilliant website it's really good no i think i get two jobs off of it i embarrassingly mm. did a night lambing once and managed three days before i ended up in hospital so that was fun <gasps> oh that's impressive yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good going pretty good i managed yeah. to slip Flip on a cleaning and, and, uh, oh. and tear the cartilage in my knee. Um, oh, ouch! It's it's normal. I've had I've had like four operations on it, but it was just quite an embarrassing <laughs> crawl down to the farmhouse. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know how we just managed to get you sorted with a knife lamer. <laughs> oh <laughs> well, no! Um, but yeah, no, very good for finding finding the right place. Um, but so you've done it all. You've uh, you've yeah. you've has a go at everything you're only 24 did you say is that yeah, right yeah yeah so you fitted a lot in um you're your chairperson obviously currently the young farmers club do you see yourself going into area office or do you see yourself no, going no, no. I don't think so. i'll stick with club yeah happy we are good stuff yeah. good. mentioned young farmers there if you want to hear about um folk progressing more in the sort of scottish side of young farmers acyfc there's a podcast number 57 with colin mckinnon number 63 with jane strawhorn colin is a district chairperson and Jane is a national vice chair soon to be chair so if you want to hear about this sort of processes further after where Bizza is also uh, Bizza for yourself I don't actually know how close this is to you do you know farmer Luke Luke Ablett down in Daintree Farm I guess I have met Luke yeah yeah Yeah, he uh, he seems involved sort of he's obviously well he's old he's told to be a young farmer anymore but he's involved sort of higher up in organizing as well so if you want to hear his story from the, the sort of working at young farmers um i think that'll be our two cast number 70 it's not released yet it's 74 it'll be so um, have a look at that but Mizzle, there's two questions i ask everyone before we finish every podcast and the first one is where do you see yourself in five years so what will 29 year old Bizzle be doing oh my god yes yeah, scary isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> five years for me is now over 30 i don't like <laughs> <laughs> um and also, if you had any tips for folk coming into farming, what would they be? Okay. So five years' time, I would like to have a commercial flock of my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I said I said to myself, I want to start that in 2023, but I'm not sure if that'll be possible. But five years' time, I want to have I want to have my own area of land. I don't want to be reliant on home because of family politics and issues. Exactly. It's just either easier if I can get away from here, have my own land somewhere and do my own thing and I can say I've done this myself that's how I want to do it um so that's the plan for five years time um and then anyone getting into farming it probably just keep keep going like keep pestering people keep asking questions you know even if you think you're being annoying just keep being annoying because the industry needs people I mean it's desperate for people my dad's 60 and he's the average age of a UK farmer now 
so you know it's we've got to do something about it and we want to do it pretty quick um so yeah just keep asking questions I mean I'm heavily involved in the NFU now but I remember when I first went to my to a meeting I went with dad and because it's um notoriously known for being an older gentleman club I think it's fair to say um they looked at me when I walked in and they were like oh my gosh like what and who is this and I kept going back and I kept asking questions and I probably kept being annoying but now you know a year down the line I I'm invited to everything I was guest speaking at Christmas meetings and they're really hospitable to me but you've just got to break down that boundary and it's a generational thing and you just have to keep going keep breaking it down and eventually you'll get there and and you'll be fine and, and folk like yourself are important and breaking that down for the next people that want to try as well makes it easier 100%, yeah and, and you just have to be you know strong enough and confident enough to you know although I went to this meeting and no one spoke to me and I sat there and I thought oh my god why am I spending my Tuesday nights sat here being ignored like no one would even look at me and I thought well you know what if you don't do it there's not many other people that are going to so I kept going back kept being annoyed so yeah you, you say annoying though I mean maybe it may be annoying as the word but it's 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 a thing yeah push yourself out there those that yeah. don't push yourself out what's the thing yeah, what's that exactly. um oh what is it uh, nothing's nothing's gained within the comfort zone yeah and that's very yeah. true because yeah. I've grown as a person from it as well because <laughs> you know I, I can now walk into a room of people I don't know a, a conference or an event or whatever and think well I've done it before where no one even said hello to me so I'll be yeah. fine no, so yeah, yeah I mean I go off yeah I, I like a year ago I probably you asked me to do this podcast I probably wouldn't have done it because I didn't oh, have the confidence you? to do it no I didn't have any confidence to do it um and you know speaking at these events that I spoke at um back in earlier in December um I, I a year ago absolutely not I would not have done that but because I forced myself to go back to these meetings and go you know and meet new people and go to new places and now I do it on my own you know I don't have dad with me or a friend with me I'm happy to go and do it on my own I go down to London to you know events and conferences and I'm confident to do it so yeah that would be my advice just just kind of get your blinkers on and just keep going then you'll finally wake up and be like oh well what was the problem this is fine and I'm really enjoying it yeah and it's great fun speaking in front of folks amazing yeah Um, yeah, um, your your advice was very similar to I'm pretty sure someone you know, Amy Wilkinson. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, her her thing was, um, the tip was uh, just twenty seconds of blind stupid confidence, and I was like, "What do you mean?" Yeah. And she was like, "Just forget about everything that's going to go wrong. Say yes to everything, yeah. and then in twenty seconds you'll freak out, but you've already done it. You've got to do it now." And I'm like, yeah. that's so cool. I love that. And then before you think about it, it's done, it's over. And you're like, oh, my God, I just went and spoke to such and such a person that I would never have done six months ago. Or yeah. I've just gone and done this speaking event, which like I've just done this podcast now that this time last year I wouldn't have done. Yeah, well, that's got to be a positive movement. Yeah, 100 <laughs> percent. And it just shows how you as a person also grow. Apart from the fact you have to speak to me for an hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God it's only an hour. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. Go off <laughs> no, not at all. It's been brilliant. Um, one thing I completely forgot to mention, if you are listening and want to check out, is Adventures of a Shepherdess. Is that right? Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Adventures of a Shepherdess mm-hmm. is her Instagram. I kind of probably should have talked a bit more about the Instagram. When did you start posting on Insta? I started that page um, two years ago now. Well, when I went on this lambing 
journey, my adventures uh, in 2021, because I was kind of just spamming my personal Instagram with like sheep and stuff. And my parents might visit, you know, people don't want to see pictures of your sheep every five minutes. Like they're lovely, <laughs> but they really don't. So I thought, okay, fine, I'll, I'll do like a, a separate bloggy sort of thing um and it was literally just so because my um my aunties that one of my aunties that lives on the farm she was like texting me every five minutes like where are you how's it going what are you doing where are your sheep how's everything and I was like okay I'm just gonna have to start a page follow this and then everyone can see it and I don't have to tell you all individually um, and it's great that they were so invested but I was like I'm actually working I've got things to do so that's how it started just something for family literally for family to follow um and then it's gone bigger no, it's very good. It's yeah. uh, post a lot of good stuff on it. So check Adventures of a Shepherdess out on Instagram. Um, another podcast down. Fantastic <laughs> story opened up. We went to Africa. We went to Iceland. We've been everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you very much, Bizza. I hope you had a good time. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's it's nice to speak about South Africa because obviously it's a part of my life that's kind of been and gone. Yes. But actually, and I haven't spoken about it for until I went to these events and I touched on it and it was like the the highlight of most people's evening was hearing about it because it's something so different so it's nice to actually start talking about it again well that's it and, and I think we said off camera like you know the fact you've been lambing in Orkney and Iceland is really cool yeah but everyone's been lambing you yeah. know and yeah that's interesting, but th this is new this yeah is totally not many new. people have dehorned a rhino no I think you were the first person I've had on uh, that's been involved in, in that uh, or painted hoof yeah. oil on a rhino yeah it's... yeah exactly yeah it's, it's yeah. quite a life that um, yeah and uh, it's also quite nice like you mentioned like it's, it's definitely a part of your life that's that's in the past now but it's still a very positive experience to go yeah on. yeah um so yeah hope you've enjoyed uh listening to visa today next week as i said we'll have michael blanche and then the following week i think we will be having rsabi so previously known as oh i'm gonna get this terrible the royal Scottish Agricultural Benevolent Institute. Now, don't go as that because, as you just saw, it's very hard to remember, and I probably got it wrong. Uh, RSABI heavily involved in sort of support. You can see them as the Agricultural Samaritans in Scotland. Um, so, yeah, very involved in support mental health, that sort of thing. So that should be uh, next Monday after Michael Blanche, and we will then see you for another R2Cast after that. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you later on. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2Cast. I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, A-Plan Rural. If you follow A-Plan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside A-Plan Rural so far, and long may it continue. The values of A-Plan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen, and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at A-Plan Rural and on Facebook at A-Plan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.